Well, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back. My name's Colton, and I'm here with... Adam. And this is In the First Degree. It is nice to be back. It's It's been a, a little bit since the first episode, like a week and a half. I'm so, sorry about that. It's Time has been catching away for me, so... It's been a very long weekend, too. It, it's been, a, yeah, a very long week and weekend. But... Super Bowl just happened. Let's go Chiefs. Let's go Chiefs beating the Eagles in a very interesting game last last few minutes. That one call, you know the hand, the the mm-hmm. holding call that could have changed the game. But it all went towards my one of my favorite teams at mm-hmm. least, but yeah, how you doing Adam? You doing good? I'm struggling, but I'm here. He's struggling, but he's here. He's he's okay. Don't you don't need to worry about him. It was a very good Super Bowl. It was a very good Super Bowl, if if you catch our drift. For him, not for me. I'm fine. <laughs> but, so, let's get started into our second story. So, this story is about Mark Burton, the Fulton County Massacre. So, our story has entails financial folly, Malden suicide notes, adultery, brutality, suspected fraud, and even an earlier set of suspected murders. Sounds like a fun weekend. That's a fun weekend. Oh my gosh. Let's get into it. Mark Oren Barton was born April 2nd, 1955. The only child of parents who were in the Air Force... Air Force, we're going. We're having a little bit of a, a pattern, you Let's know. Let's go, Air Force. Let's go right there. Not producing the. <laughs> the good not really. We don't. We don't really have much to go on for his upbringing. But when he was older, he worked as a manual laborer with a short try at one university. It didn't specify where. Well, before he landed at University of South Carolina, from which he graduated with a chemistry degree in hmm. 1979. He's a good old, good old blue collar from the fifties. Blue collar chemistry degree. That I'm not smart enough to do that. But hmm. during the same year, he got married to Deborah Spivey. That's a fifty names right there. That's yeah. A student also from his university, Barton was living in Atlanta, Georgia at this time, where his job consisted of testing cleaning product, cleaning compounds, not products. You know, he's using that chemistry degree. But as such with many people, he decided to get a new change of scenery and move to Texarkana, Texas. Here, he and his friends found a company together, TLC Manufacturing. It didn't say, like, what that what they did. It I'm just, guessing manufacturing. Shot in the dark. Manufacturing. I don't know if it had to do with, like, chemical stuff or something like that, but... Um, where he he was uh, the president of in 1988. So it's, he was the president of his own company? Wouldn't yeah, well, he has CEO? friends, so he got appointed the president. I don't know what the other positions were. Probably someone he was like CEO or like a board member or something. Oh, well, so I guess he wanted to be probably CEO with other CFO. Yeah. Uh, it's reported he came home with a salary of about $86,000. Which Back in the 50 or this probably more like 1988. So that's, that's a, a decent that, amount of money. That's a wage right there. Maybe like I'm just shooting in the dark, but maybe that, I don't know. 
You can in buy today's, a house back then with that much. You could buy a house, yeah. Maybe like in today's, like, adjusted for inflation, you would probably, I don't know, like mid $100,000 of today, maybe even more. Um, for a couple of years, all seemed to be going smoothly, but in 1990, the company suddenly parted ways with him. Officially, I was fired, he would come to say, stating that it was a way for them to save face and not to scare off their suppliers. On his last day of working there, the offices were broken into, being burglarized with erased computer files and stolen secret formulas. What is this, SpongeBob? Secret formulas? Why would he? Okay, so either he wasn't very involved. Why would you steal your own secret formula? Well, we don't know that it was him. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's pretty suspicious that on his last day it happened to happen, but... I didn't shoot the main officer. I'm just holding the gun that fired. <laughs> the gun killed him. With high suspicion of Barton, police had gone to his home and arrested him on a charge of burglary. But on that same day, one of the board members of the company called in and, without explanation, told the police that they had come to an agreement with Barton and to drop the charges. A detective, however, came to a theory that the break-in was not intended for the theft of the product formula, but to hide kickbacks, discrepancies in inventory, or the possible sale of chemicals for drug activity. I can see that. They doing some shady shit. Yeah, because he wouldn't have to steal his own stuff, but like deleting files, I can see. Yeah, somebody happened to go in and burglarize the place and get rid of like evidence mm-hmm. mm. was that like uh like was that a pi or is that more like an actual detective from the police force uh i think it was just a detective a detective okay yeah barton would move back to georgia with his wife deborah and took a job as a salesman for a chemical company here he got to know a younger lady working as a receptionist there leanne lang she was already in a marriage, which was not so much of a happy one. He went on to say she liked older guys. She made that known to everybody. Mm-mm-mm. By May 1993, the two were now engaged into an affair with one another. So they weren't engaged. They were just having an affair. They were having an affair. They were, they were engaged what year is into this? an affair. Would this have been like 90s? 1993. Okay. It's going to be at this time now that Barton and Deborah had two kids of their own. Uh, Matthew and his younger sister, Michelle. Being newly invigorated with this secret lover, he would go out of his way to keep a nice appearance, buying a new wardrobe and getting a tan. At that point, Deborah became suspicious. The key to the whole thing was I started going to the tanning bed and she didn't like that, he said. He added that she was jealous all throughout the relationship because I was in outside sales. She found her own dog's hair on me one time and asked if it was another lady's hair. I just denied it. To be fair, women would be tripping a lot. She but just she happened was right. To, she happened to be right on this oh one occasion. Oh my gosh, no. Women be tripping. No, he showed the shot. He showed the signs. I think the sh- the signs. He showed the signs. He would. He's dressing nice. Not for you, you ugly. Not for. <laughs> um. 
In June the next month, Leanne and Barton had taken a trip to Charlotte, North Carolina, having dinner with a few of her friends. During the dinner, Barton said that he never loved anyone more than Leanne and that he would be able to marry her by October 1st. So he's he's just, he's ready to get rid of Deborah. Yes, sir. Oh, my. Out with the old and with new. Out <laughs> Leanne was ready to divorce her spouse by the end of August and had found an apartment with her sister. So they're both ready. They're, they want each other. They're getting there. They're getting there. Deborah would decide to go to Alabama to spend Labor Day weekend with her mother as a little vacation, spending, spending their nights in a lakeside trailer while Barton stayed home with their two kids, quote-unquote, reportedly. Uh-huh. But by the end of their weekend excursion... The bodies of Deborah Parton and her mother, Eloise Spivey, had been found in their trailer, killed by an axe-like tool that was apparently never recovered. Okay, so they're currently living in Texarkana, correct? Uh, uh... Guess he got the new salesman job, that's where he met Leanne. No, he, they're, they're, in, they're back in Georgia, I believe. So they moved back to Georgia? Yeah. So did Leanne move with him? I thought they met Leanne in Texarkana. No, 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 no. Uh, he got fired from his job in Texarkana. He moved back to Georgia. Okay. Got a job as a chemical salesman, and mm-hmm. that's when he started uh, an affair okay. with the receptionist okay. Leanne. Where is Deborah's mother's from? She is, I believe, from Georgia. Too. So too. they're both Georgia. Like boys. they're originally Georgians. But okay. They moved to Texas and then moved back to Georgia. Um, almost immediately after Deborah's funeral, authorities arrived at Barton's home in search for evidence. Police would spray the house with luminol, a chemical that, when in contact with blood, glows in the dark. And then the police did a search in his car and received a positive reaction of blood on the ignition switch and on the seatbelt. And he would have no explanation for why blood was there. It was that time of the month. It just kind of... For a dude! (laughs) But almost as if trying to instigate the officers, he said, If there is a ton of blood in my car, why aren't you arresting me? Well, now, why am I not in handcuffs? I guess he got the police to admit that there was not enough blood evidence that would require an arrest. That's a valid point, though. They're trying to get, get him to slip up. They do yeah. that a lot. They're like trying to intimidate you. It's like we got all this evidence, but if they ain't got you in handcuffs. They ain't they they ain't gonna do anything. Yeah, he sure was teasing them. Like, hey, are you gonna arrest me or not? Hmm. So he was definitely a high IQ person. I guess so. Yeah. Um, Barton soon later makes a trip to explain the reasoning for the blood in the car. Apparently, having slipped his mind. He told police officers that he had cut his finger to the bone during the summer before his wife was murdered. He insisted that it was his own. To verify his statements, they would request a blood or a saliva sample for DNA testing, as well as a lie detector test, but he subsequently refused. Okay, to be fair, even if, like, let's say he's innocent, that's not a bad thing to deny, though. Well, okay, if you're innocent... I would say a blood or saliva sample is like a DNA test is like a almost like guaranteed way of like seeing if somebody is yeah, but like innocent or happens. guilty. But and like you, you might have like bled here, bled there, a hair follicle fucking left somewhere, or like it blew. 
And it's like, oh, this hair follicle is in this room. Yeah. You're definitely the killer. Well, the lie detector test. Um, no one should take that. Innocent or guilty. Yeah, just it's, don't take it. it's, all, it's not always 100% accurate. It's not accurate 100% of the time. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Now, within a week of... Oh, wait. No, I am... Authorities had a very strong suspicion that Barton was guilty of the murders, but as there were no witnesses to place at the setting, along with no forensic evidence or fingerprints, they couldn't really charge him with anything. Also, Burton claimed to have spilled a soft drink on blood traces in the car before any tests were able to be done, um, destroying the evidence. Like, so destroying the, the blood, sample. So you didn't clean up the blood in the car. The blood was just chilling. I guess so. And so they found it and so hold up. So they let it destroy that? So it can go through bleach and you still see it and test it. But like, oh no, on my DP, it fell. Whoopsie do. Well, granted, this is the 90s, so I guess. technology isn't as, well, or not, not nearly as, what it is today. Now, within a week of the tragedy of Deborah and her mother's murder, Leanne would start spending nights at the house with Barton and his kids. After a Is mo- she divorced yet? I think she is. Di- well, Alma, hold on. After a month had gone by since the murder, Leanne had divorced her spouse, and six months later, they would move in together in Morrow, or Morrow, Georgia, a place where nobody would have known about the murders, because they moved away. So, like, oh, new neighborhood, nobody's going to know. <laughs> this second marriage, however, would not be as happy as both of them would have liked. Several times, Leanne would just pick up and leave leaving neighbors to gossip about what might be happening in the home. To be fair, if both of y'all were cheating in the first place to be with each other, what's stopping y'all from doing it again? That is true. It's like once you start, you're not going to want to stop. Yeah, it's a, a relationship built on lies. They had reportedly uh, been experiencing family trouble, during February 1994, when Barton's youngest daughter, Michelle, at two and a half years old, told her daycare worker that her father had sexually molested her. Snitch. Oh, my. Snitch. I mean, no, nah, that's the right thing for her to do. I mean, yeah, but like. Oh, my gosh. This ain't no snitches get stitches. All right, that's continue. a good thing. During that, he, that she told them during a mental consultation taken afterwards, a psychologist would state that Barton certainly was capable of committing homicide. But because of how young Michelle was, it was a challenge for state attorneys to build a case around her against her father or to prevent him from keeping custody of both of his kids. Okay, so Michelle's two and a half. She's two and a half. How old is Matthew? Uh, he's like four years older than her, so he's like five six. or six. Okay, okay. So none of them are like in like grade school or anything. There's probably still some he's, prob- he's probably like in kindergarten or first grade, maybe okay. at this age. Um, the Douglas County District Attorney David McDade would say it was disturbing enough to have a trained psychologist and competent prosecutors reporting these things back to us back then. It's absolutely chilling to think about it now. 
Just weeks before the murder of his first wife, Barton had taken out a $600,000 insurance policy on her and was now trying to cash it. Noting that the police had considered Barton a suspect, the insurance company subjected him to six hours of questioning as kind of a preventative measure, you know, because like, we heard the story. Now you're trying to get the life insurance policy from her? I mean, yeah. We paid for it. I'm trying to cash it out. Oh, my God. He would go to argue his case, talking about his life, basically making him seem as pitiful as possible. Oh, no. I'm only making six figures a year. Oh, no. Yeah. In 1997, the insurance company had decided to settle for $450,000 going to him, citing that they, that they believed a jury would have sympathy with Barton and his kids in the case that the settlement ever went to court. The company, however, would make a decision that $150,000 of the 600000 would have to go into trust for Michelle and Matthew. So he took the insurance company to court? No, no. They settled. But they were like, well, let's just get this over with because the jury's probably going to go in their case because he has kids and everything. And so they're just like, okay, sue? here we go. But you only get 450000 but your kids, they get 150000 You don't get that whole six hundred. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. That's still a free 450000 With this new influx of cash, Barton allowed himself to be caught up in the risky business of day trading, a type of job where people bet on the daily fluctuations of individual stocks. Soon, Barton would become a full-time day trader, but things would turn sour the following summer. Barton would end up losing around $105,000 since June, with almost all of it being on volatile internet stocks, according to Momentum Securities, the place where he would trade most recently. His account had been closed on Tuesday after he was unable to meet a margin call, a demand for a brokerage that would put a customer in the position of covering a debt that was caused by falling stock prices. So they're like, you're in a deficit. Now, to protect our asses, you have to make up that money. Mm -hmm. Now, to be able to reopen the account, he had reportedly tried to write a check for $50,000, but it, it had bounced, and he would be denied trading privileges that Wednesday and Thursday. Alltech, so it's like that's the name mm -hmm. of the company, Alltech, um, another company that Barton would trade with, but not having been with them for a few months, was also a place where he had potentially lost a large sum of cash to it, with it estimated to be around $300,000. But this is not fully verified because the company did not want to divulge mm -hmm. his trading records. So he's just really bad at this whole trading thing. Yeah, he's not good. No, um, I would kind of equate it to like... Like gambling. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. But a lot of times it's... um Like it's a professional gambling addiction. Yes, but professionals typically know what they're doing. There are certain ways. There's like um fallback, if that makes sense. If mm -hmm. you know what you're doing, you know what companies to go for. Because the market is volatile, yes, but it's also very... There's patterns. And there's sections of it. Well, from judging what he was like... Go, like it sounds like he was just free balling it. Yeah, because like, uh, the, the volatile internet stock. 
he oh, bro if he was born in 20 like 2000 and he did like the whole nfts bitcoin that man would be a multi-billionaire right now mm-hmm. but yeah he probably he, like you know the stocks like high risk high reward he probably mm-hmm. wanted money fast um but m- most of the time you're not gonna win it so he just lost a lot of money a lot of money now it was on a tuesday afternoon in the bristol green apartments in stockbridge where a 14 year old boy travis holmes had seen barton and his son and began to start a conversation with them travis was a fellow scout so they enjoyed to talk about merit badges camping and the like who was the scout was it him or matthew um, it said that Barton was also a scout, but I think his son was as well. Was um, he an Eagle Scout or was it just something he did? I think it was just a scout, like Boy Scouts or something like that. That's... I'm not really sure. I couldn't really find that, but I think Barton was a scout and so his son was yeah. as well. Um Travis would say that he saw no indication that Barton would soon take a the very first steps on a horrific journey that would come to leave dramatic lasting effects on the population as a whole. Just before 2.30 p.m. on a Thursday, Barton made his way into the offices of Momentum Securities, one of the day trading firms that he would trade at on the third floor of a Buckhead office building. There he would engage in small talk, Making your regular greetings, you know, mm-hmm. hey, how are you? Have you been and everything? But after chatting for a little bit, Martin said that he needed to make a few transactions there, ending the conversation with, "It's a bad trading day, and it's about to get worse." He then would pull out two pistols, one in each hand and shot both of them at the same time, rampaging throughout the building, killing four people and injuring several others. Man playing like it's Call of Duty Akimbo. <laughs> Got the dual 45s up here. <laughs> A manager and his secretary, now at the Atlanta office of Alltech Investment Group, not knowing what had just taken place across the street, were similar, similarly greeted by Barton, so no one stopped in after he kills four people. He just walked out and went to a different place. I mean, probably people are terrified, so they're going up and hiding. Yeah, um, but like, get his plate number, call the police. This is the '90s, so they. Well, at least I'm pretty have, sure like, they phones. did call the police, but like, there's a there's a little bit of a delay time whenever police get there. Um, so yeah. like, you know, he had. I mean, the other building's just right across the street. Oh, so, so it's all like just like Wolf of like Wall Street. Right it's all there. one place. Yeah, so he just goes across the street after rampaging in uh, momentum. And so he's now at now at Alltech. But let's see. A manager. Oh my, let's, oh, my God. A manager and his secretary now at the Atlanta office at Alltech Investment Group, not knowing who had just taken place across the street. I think I already read this. Mm-hmm. Were similarly greeted by Barton, striking up a small conversation, talking about the latest news of the Dow's 200 points decline. I mean, do you know what that is? The Dow? Yes. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, he again opened fire on unsuspecting innocence, pulling out a 9mm Glock and a 45 caliber Colt. Five shots would ring out from the meeting room, leaving the manager and his assistant wounded. Barton then would head onto the main trading floor. 
Nell Jones, who was working at her computer at the time, would say, I was the first person who looked into his eyes. From around 10 feet away, he raised his gun, pointing it at her and fired, narrowly missing her head by inches and hitting the terminal where she was working at. He's one shit shot. He is. He's, he's out on a mission. He noted that while firing, um, well, she noted while firing, he was very calm, very determined with no feeling, except that she did hear him mutter, I hope this won't ruin your trading day. Five people would be killed at Altec. So now it's nine people altogether. We're at nine. Yes. Okay. At 2.56 p.m., police would receive their first call about the first incident of gunfire at Momentum with a second call coming in two minutes later with reports of four dead people. Okay. The first officer on scene arrived at 3 p.m., having been told that four people were found dead up in Suite 310 on the third floor, you know. Um, so this man had time to go down, go across the go street. Go down, go across the street, yeah. Within seconds, uh, backup would arrive after being called. Several people were found huddled in a smaller room, going there to hide with one of them having thrown out a computer through a window in hopes of attracting attention from someone on the street. I mean, that's a smart idea. That's smart. Might have killed someone. What is that? (laughs) A little bit dangerous. A little bit dangerous, but hey. I think also just like breaking it and yelling, Ayo, somebody help. help me. Yeah. At 3.07 p.m., while searching through the other offices, gunshots would be heard coming from another office building across the street, Alltech. It's now 3.15 p.m., and Barton is nowhere to be seen. Ambulances have now come onto the scene. One of the paramedics with with the Grady Hospital, Reginald McCoy, would say, We see shootings all the time. They almost seem routine, but I've never seen anything like that volume. It was utter chaos. What's going on in Georgia? Well, in Atlanta, yeah. Oh, okay. I can see Atlanta back in the 90s. <laughs> that makes a little bit more sense. Um, at around 3.30, a handful of employees at the Ivy Place building had spotted a man wearing a red shirt and khaki pants running south. They managed to piece together what he looked like from radio and TV news. Hmm. Four hours um, have now passed, and authorities are unable to locate Barton. About 20 miles away at the town center in Mall, at the town center mall in Kennesaw, a security officer reported seeing Barnes' unoccupied van in the parking lot. Manon Smith, who was also at that mall, had said that she had seen Barton in the parking lot and recognized him as the suspect from the shootings. She pulled out her phone and called 911. The operators were skeptical at first, but would come to eventually believe Smith as she described the van and had read off the license plate. She said that she didn't want him looking back and seeing her on the phone and reporting him that she really wanted to get off the phone quickly. Okay, one thing I want to say. 911 operators back in like 40, like the past 50 years, every single story I hear, it's always a bad operator. They never believe know, in so many of It's always stories. something like they got an attitude. It's like, I would say, no matter what, believe them. If you have to announce someone and it's not true, 
arrest them. It's against the law to make a uh, false report. Yeah. Yeah, like take take it all. But there, yeah, there's so many stories about um, phone operators just not believing. Like, there. I mean, there's like this one, someone's out of breath. Yeah, like whispering. One's whispering like, "Oh, you got to speak up," and they think it's a prank. But yeah, and they get like offended half the time. I mean, even if it is, what if it's true? Somebody's life is in danger potentially. There's definitely been multiple times where they have single-handedly killed that person. I mean, other than the person actually killing them. Yeah. Like, they didn't send out help. It's it's really sad. She had briefly followed Barton until he had reached I-75 and turned right, but she had turned left. The thought of following Barton uh, more had crossed her mind, but she didn't want to risk it. Cobb County Police Officer Hugh Clements was on I-75 when he saw a minivan matching the description of Barton's. He called in the tag number by radio to a dispatcher and the dispatcher did confirm that it was the minivan that they were looking for. He followed Barton and maintained a safe distance in the beginning so as to not cause any action from Barton. We're like, hey, somebody's following me. Um, was he in his personal or was he in like a patrol car? He's in a patrol car. Okay. Yeah. Also telling fellow officers through radio what he had discovered. Now, going back, we're going to take a pause. Now, going back several hours earlier, uh, around like four hours, we see that 20 miles south of downtown Atlanta, the manager of the Bristol Green apartment complex in Stockbridge was starting to notice the quiet apartment unit at building 1300. He noticed that the rent was late and was starting to grow worried. Coincidentally, no more than 30 minutes later, after the shootings in Atlanta, he would call the Henry County Police, letting the officer into the apartment complex. There they discovered the bodies of Barton's wife, 27-year-old Leanne, his son Matthew at 11 years old, and daughter Michelle at 7 years old. The two children's bodies were laying in their beds with sheets pulled up to their necks and had towels around their heads to where only their faces were showing. A handwritten letter was placed on each body and a computer written note was left in the living room explaining the reasons for the massacre. Leanne was found stuffed in the closet similarly covered also with a note. The computer note would read, July 29th, 1999, 6.38 a.m. To whom it may concern. Leanne is in the master bedroom closet under a blanket. I killed her on Tuesday night. I killed Matthew and Michelle Wednesday night. There may be similarities between these deaths and the deaths of my first wife, Deborah Spivey. However, I deny killing her and her mother. There's no reason for me to lie now. It just seems like a quiet way to kill and a relatively painless way to die there was little pain all of them were dead in less than five minutes i hit them with a hammer in their sleep and then put them face down in, in a bathtub to make sure that they did not wake up in pain okay if you use a sharp knife my man pulled out a hammer and drowned them which are like two of the worst ways to die it's it's brutal um to make sure that they were dead, I am so sorry 
I wish I didn't. Words cannot tell the agony. Why did I? I have been dying since October. I wake up at night so afraid, so terrified that I couldn't be that afraid while awake. It has taken its toll. I have come to hate this life and this system of things. I have come to have no hope. I killed the children to exchange them for five minutes of pain for a lifetime of pain. I forced myself to do it to keep them from suffering so much later. No mother, no father, no relatives. The fears of the father are transferred to the son. It was from my father to me and from me to my son. He already had it and now to be left alone, I had to take him with me. I killed Leanne because she was one of the main reasons for my demise as I planned to kill the others. I really wish I hadn't killed her now. She really couldn't help it, and I loved her so much anyway. I know that Jehovah will take care of all of them in the next life. I'm sure the details don't matter. There is no excuse, no good reason. I'm sure no one would understand. If they could, I wouldn't want them to. I just write, the, write these things to say why. Please, um, please know I love Leanne, Matthew, and Michelle with all of my heart. If Jehovah is willing, I would like to see all of them again in the resurrection to have a second chance. I don't plan to live very much longer, just long enough to kill as many of the people that greedily, greedily sought my destruction. You should kill me if you can. Mark O. Barton. Hmm. My man wrote a manifesto. It's like his reasoning is really for bad. is really bad. Like he killed his children because me don't feel no good. I don't feel good, and me that, made a bad decision losing four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and now the I'm children like, are going to suffer. So let me just kill them. Um, like I feel like that's very narcissistic. Narcissistic to a degree. That is narcissistic. Because I feel like if like you know what, I don't want to put my children through this. You would probably just kill yourself. That would make a lot more sense. I mean, we don't want people to kill themselves. No, no. no. Get some help. Better help. Yeah, just like, it's not like, I don't know. It's just a crazy thing. Like, I'm going to, you're, I'm going to make you suffer for the five minutes and kill you. Um, because I don't want you to suffer for the rest of your life. I also, to be fair, he probably wouldn't have done that if he wasn't a religious, like the, whatever you call like the religious freak. The religious freak for like from the last episode we were talking about people using religion as a okay he was using okay so he was using religion to try to like blow off the blame he's using a religion as an excuse this dude is using religion as an excuse yeah he's saying like jehovah will treat them better than i will and he's asking for forgiveness but like hmm because this man, I'm guessing he was religious beforehand. The one before was religious afterhand. I don't think he was re- the first one. I don't think he was religious at all. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This dude sounds like, it's okay, Jehovah. He's using as an excuse. It's like, I can, I can fuck up here as long as Jehovah does his thing. Yeah, it's just, it's so just lose, an lose. awful thing. Also... Wouldn't most people that would do th- something along those lines wouldn't it be a murder suicide? Like he'd kill the children, the family, then kill himself afterwards, not go and kill six other people. Well, you, it sounds like he just was angry with people taking his money. Yeah, and so that's what the last sentence. I don't plan to live very much longer, just 
long enough to kill as many of the people that greedily sought my destruction. So, yeah. The trading companies where he was the one who messed up and dug himself in a big hole, like, owing, like, uh, potentially, like, $400,000. Because he wanted that quick dollar. And, like, wasn't... Oh, no, he quit his job the day trade. So he wasn't making any income on top of that. I don't... It didn't say if he quit his uh, job, but I would imagine so. Because it did say he was did full-time day trading. Yeah. But, like, if you're losing that much money, you obviously ain't making money. No. Definitely like, you're... Not. So, do you think he actually killed, like, his first wife? Or do you think that's all coincidental? I, I think it was because... Um, I did read that when the police found the bodies of Deborah and her mom, that in the trailer, there was no signs of breaking in. So that had to indicate that it was somebody close to them. And I don't, it didn't really specify like anybody else who would have known, but you know, with the things adding up, him having an affair, um, yeah, it's, but, like, everyone has an affair, especially back in the 90s. No one was happy back then. I I guess, but, like... So you, th- he, you think he did, he did it? Yes. Hmm. Well, because, also, um, the blood traces, you know? Yeah, but there's definitely been cases where it's like, yes, there's blood, and I, I just don't want you to... DNA test it because of like other reasons. A lot of it's like privacy. There's definitely situations where the actions they make them that they make make them seem really suspicious, but they're just honest to God, like innocent. You running devil's advocate right now, aren't you? <laughs> no. He. I think he did it. I think he did it. I think he alleged allegedly. I think he did it. Got to protect ourselves. But um, <laughs> no, I think he full on did it um, because. You can't be so comfortable as to kill your family and then six other people without having some sort of messed up past. And that is certainly a messed up past. Um, So continuing, um, now coming around, we're jumping back to present, now coming around 7.50 p.m., shifting into the night, uh, Barton turned off the interstate onto um, 92 in Ackworth. With Officer Clements still in tow, Barton would pass a service station on the left and turned right just past a McDonald's. He would then turn left into a gas station. Seizing his opportunity, Clements turned on his lights and let off his siren. During this whole thing, 14-year-old Dane Pritchett managed to witness what would happen next. She was seated in the back seat of a car in the McDonald's parking lot next door, waiting for her brother and his girlfriend to bring back food. She said that Barton had slowed at the gas pumps, almost as if he was going to stop, but he pulled up about 35 uh, feet more. Then an Ackworth police cruiser made their way into the parking lot and stopped in front of the minivan. Behind Clement's leapt out of his vehicle, drew his firearm, and crouched behind the door of his patrol car, yelling, Get out! Get out! More police officer 
cruisers would make their way into the parking lot to block any possible escape route as fellow law enforcement would get into place. Barton would then raise the 9mm pistol to one side of his head and the 45 caliber to the other side with him taking his own life. This, Why did he drive so long just to do that? I guess maybe the potentiality of him escaping but you know if mm. he gets caught then that's it he's done for so in his head in his head you know like he did with his family instead of suffering his whole life he just wants to end it i mean yeah a little bit late but yeah a little bit late. well nine people dead too late nine people or nine 12 nine plus three 12 people now counting himself we're at 13 and he so he's at like 16. He's got a 16 KDA. <laughs> this isn't gaming. <laughs> um, this would occur at 7.55 p.m. Um, Barton's father-in-law, uh, Deborah's uh, so first wife. father, first wife's father. Um, let's see. Uh, blames... Uh, or claims that Barton, uh, up until the murders, he was the perfect son-in-law. Since then, we have cooled tremendously towards each other. He would say that the killings in Henry County and Buckhead completed what Barton had started six years ago with the death of Deborah and his mom. Allegedly. And her mom. Allegedly. If what I've heard is true, the man has destroyed nearly my whole family. The man who, it appears, killed my wife and my daughter also killed my two grandchildren. Mm -hmm. In the end, Barton's killing spree would end with 12 people dead and 13 more injured. The victims, because we want to remember all Mm -hmm. the victims in these types of stories, the victims include... Lee Ann Vandeveer Barton, Matthew David Barton, Michelle Elizabeth Barton, Alan Charles Tenenbaum, Dean or Deanne uh, Delawalla, Joseph J. Desert, Jamshid Havash, Vade Wati, I don't know this last name, Muraladahara, Edward Quinn, Kevin Dial, Russell J. Brown, and Scott A. Webb. And that was the story of Mark Barton, the Fulton County Massacre. Prayers for all the families that lost. Prayers to all the families. So what what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are, this was a very, very sick man. And this is um, all the killing or the killings we have in the 99, the ni- like 99. Uh, this happened, I think, yeah, in the late 80s, early 90s. I'll have to go back and take a look. Um, 19, yeah, 1990s. See, at the end, it just sounded like a broken man. But that doesn't explain the whole Deborah and the stepmom. You know, there's some people are sadistic. Like, you know, in the in the um, last story, uh, one of the uh, murderers, he had allegedly killed one of the um, officers in the Air Force. Remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
but so they couldn't. Like that, they couldn't he was like, kind of broke. huh? Well, he started and he went on like, oh, like what four or five year break. No, no, it was pretty close after. It was. Yeah, like a few months after, like he planned it and. So he moved, got married in a couple months, and then all that happened. Are you talking about this story? I'm talking about the last story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about this story. This story, yeah. It was like five. The dad said it was six years ago that it happened. So, uh, yeah, he yeah, got got married. Um, well, yeah, yeah, because in the story, it said that the daughter had um, accused him of sexually molesting her at, at two. two and a half years old. And she uh And they never was... did anything about that? Well, yeah, because she was so young that they couldn't take her for her word, you know? Like, you could at least investigate. Investigate, but they said it was really hard to put a rap, like a story uh, around her. Um, I don't know, because people think, like, oh, like kids lie or they make up stories. Or I mean, they're... that's true to a degree, but I would take it at least somewhat seriously. Yeah, because that's a, that's a harsh thing and for she should what what she shouldn't even know what that is she shouldn't know what that is At, like what two years old mm-hmm but yeah he's a a messed up and awful person this is why you don't um, cheat kids i wish we would have had justice instead of him uh yeah. ending his life in the end for we want that justice for the victim's families but at least at least we do know that um he is not a threat to anybody anymore. No. But, yeah, so that was our story. That's our second episode. Um, I've, I promise, or I hope, I won't promise, to get <laughs> an episode out a week instead of waiting nine days. I'm sorry about that. Life just got caught up to me. Um, but, yeah, let us know your thoughts. We... Uh, we got an Instagram and a YouTube, so if you want to follow us at In the First Degree on YouTube and Instagram, I think it's In the First Degree One on Instagram. Hold on, let me double check. Yeah, let's see. Comment uh, Eagles or uh, it's it. Yeah, it's at In the First Degree. I will um uh put it into the description so if you want to like and like and follow that and you can dm us about any stories that you have and we promise to get back to you we promise we'll get back to you we've had a lot like people from around the world listening it's very surprising like a lot of people in europe we've had uh i think a couple in like uh, the african continent or something like that so thank you for listening where i'm very surprised that it's reaching out that far um here in mm-hmm. North America. But yeah, glad that y'all are listening. Um so y'all stay safe out there. Y'all stay safe out there. Have a nice one. And this has been in the first degree. See you later.